This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we're combining China, ethical investing and dividends into a single podcast and hopefully have a bit of fun along the way. My name's Andrew Page and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Scott Phillips. G'day Andrew, g'day Fools, good to be with you. Scott, this week we've got three interesting things to dive into. The first is what are dividend reinvestment plans? We spent last week talking about why dividends are so wonderful. We did. Let's talk a bit about dividend reinvestment plans and why you should care. Secondly, ethical investing, doing well by doing good. How the hell does that work? (laughs) And finally, stocks for the China boom. It's all about China at this point in time. Where can you put some money to really reap the benefits of the rise and rise of the Chinese middle class? It really is. There have been plenty of, plenty of talks about China so far and plenty of talks about how people are making a fortune in China. So we'll see if we can uncover some of those ideas as we go through the podcast. And there are some good ones there. So we'll get into that. So the first one, though, dividend reinvestment plans, DRPs as they're known. In, or in drips the as they call them in the States. Drips as they call them in the States. Uh, what, what, what's a drip, Scott? <laughs> Are you asking me personally or are you asking about dividend reinvestment plans? <laughs> dividend reinvestment There's plan. two answers to that question. Look, a dividend reinvestment plan is, well, it can be really useful, mm-hmm. but they're not so straightforward. Look, a DRP in very basic terms is a company allowing you to take some of the money that otherwise give you in cash mm-hmm. and allow you to get more shares instead. So let's take a very simple so example. So I'm getting shares instead of cash. That's exactly what it okay. is. So let's say you would have got a hundred bucks worth of dividends this, this six months, for yep. example. Let's yep. say you own shares in Woolies yep. and you would have got a hundred bucks worth of dividends. Woolies yep. say, well, we give you the cash or if you like, we can actually take some of that cash mm. and we'll give you some more shares and say, we'll buy you another four shares at 25 bucks okay. to make it simple. Okay. So instead of owning a little bit more cash and having to reinvest that yourself, mm. we'll just say, look, we'll do it for you. Just mm. sit back and relax. We'll send you a, a share certificate saying, here's four more shares mm. rather than sending you the cash. Well, last week we were talking about the, the power of reinvesting those dividends we and indeed. the compounding that that unleashes. So it sounds like a pretty smart thing. Look, yeah, we should break it up. So dividend reinvestment is vital. So mm-hmm. let's put the plan bit aside for now. Okay. If you don't reinvest the dividends, you're frankly just going to spend all your proceeds. And look, mm. if you're in retirement or- Some people got, have to. Right? If you've got more money than God, you might as well spend it. Or if you're in retirement, you need the money because you're, you're literally in that phase of living off your investment returns. Makes perfect sense. And that's sense. exactly what dividends are for. Yep. For everybody else, literally everybody else, you should be reinvesting those dividends. It's mm. the compounding of those dividends mm. that really makes a difference for individual investors. If you just, you know, I can't emphasize, you know, we talked last, uh, last week about the fact that over 15 years, even though share prices are up 74%, if you include those dividends up 224%, but yep. that, that, that assumes yep. you reinvest those dividends. And that's the really important part. So yeah. you've got Huge. to reinvest the dividends. Now, the plans themselves can be great. So think about- Well, let's talk, let's talk about the pros and cons. Sure, sure. And, and let's start with the, the pros first. Okay. Give, give me a pro. Look, the, the simplest one is it makes you reinvest those dividends. Mm. If you don't, Set and forget, right? right? It just happens automatically. Right. If, and, and frankly, just a quick tangent, if you get dividends in cash, you should put them into an investment account, not in your general transaction account. If you give the bank, you'll give your company your transaction account, yep. they're going to put it in your, in your savings account. And then when you go to the shops next week, you're going to spend a bit more money. Mm-hmm. So if you get dividends in cash, put them straight into an investment account of one form or another. Yep. But e, the DRP specifically does it all for you. You never see the cash. Mm. So it happens automatically. It happens for you. You don't have to think about it, choose to do it. You don't have to use the self-discipline of not spending the money. It simply goes back into shares straight away. No hassle, no fuss, no paperwork. It's all done for you. It's set and forget. It's really nice. I'll tell you another couple of nice features about it too. Now, each company is different. Now, not all companies offer dividend reinvestment plans. Good the point. first thing to say. Most of the, of the bigger ones do. Correct. But the other benefit is you don't pay any brokerage on them. 
And sometimes you actually get a bit of a discount. So the company will say, we will not only give you shares instead of cash, but we will give you shares at a cheaper price than what the market is currently offering. Sometimes a discount of 5% or so. Yeah, which is nice. Look, hey, who doesn't like an immediate 5% return? If you can, you know, nice. if the, the average market return is 10% a year. If you get half of that simply by using a DRP, you're well and truly on the way to, to market beating returns, which is a fantastic position. In fact, if you take that 5%, you get your 10% a year. You're on track for 15% a year return for those dividends, which is a pretty nice starting point if you're an investor. Here's a question for you. Where okay. do the shares come from? <laughs> Great question. The shares are actually created by the company. Out of thin air. Out of thin air. Poof. So literally, it's like a, a pie that gets sliced a little bit more thinly. And okay. instead of having 10 pieces, there are now 11 pieces. So let me get this straight. If I don't participate in the dividend reinvestment plan, each year I'm getting a little bit diluted. Yeah, and this is, this is part of the problem. So often that is exactly the case. Mm -hmm. that if you don't participate... Other people get those shares mm -hmm. or some shares, not your shares, just other shares. Yep. And so your your investment proportion, if you owned 5% of the company beforehand, you don't because they're massive, but let's say 5%. I might. Over, over 10 or 15 years, you might own, own five, four and a half or 4% mm -hmm. of the company. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if it grows, you're not getting all of that growth. You're yep. losing a little bit. They're shaving a little bit off each year. Yep. Now, some companies, the best companies, and there's very few of them, actually buy shares on market yes. for the DRP. So yep. some actually will specifically avoid that dilution, avoid that yep. uh, you know, splitting up in a smaller and smaller piece by buying some on the market. Okay. But generally speaking, they're, they're, their shares are created. Yep. Um, it actually adds more money to the company's coffers, by the way. It's also a nice source of capital because they get to keep right. that money, give you more shares. So the company ends up with more cash to go and pursue its own its own dreams. And frankly, companies do what they call an underwritten DRP, which is exactly mm -hmm. that. Yep. They give you the shares instead, but someone else is paying that money yep. and getting the shares as a result. So there is some benefit for the company in doing that. There's some benefit for you as an investor if you get the DRP. Yep. But they don't come from nowhere. They do come as a proportion, as a, as a result of making a, a, a large number of shares and a smaller slice for everyone else who's left in the pie. You know, another, another, I guess, negative in a way um, is that it can make your tax affairs a little bit more complicated. If you've been participating in a dividend reinvestment plan, you know, for 10 of the stocks in your portfolio and you've right. been doing that for 10 years, at some point in the future, you'll sell your shares and your accountant's going to say, well, what's the cost basis for all of these shares? <laughs> and you have to go back every six month period over that. You know, look, if you've got good record keeping, perhaps you're using some software that's out there that mm -hmm. keeps track of it for you. It's not too painful, especially given the benefits. But just bear in mind, if you are going to participate in a dividend reinvestment plan, make sure you keep some pretty good records because in 10 years time, you could have a real headache trying to tease apart exactly what the notional, you know, um, buy price was for these companies. I think that's great. Look, I really would say, please never ever do anything just for the tax benefit or for the, for the sure. admin benefit. Um, if there's 10 years worth of dividends twice a year, that's 20 different transactions. Mm. Yes, you have to keep the records, but gee, if you're getting a benefit from that, don't let the admin scare you away. But to your point, Andrew, you do have to keep those records. And I'd say another negative, and again, I'm, I'm really sort of being picky here. Another, another slight negative is that you don't have a choice as to when you add to your shareholding for a particular company. You get shares basically when the dividend is paid. And that might be at a point in time where the, the company isn't, isn't very good value. Maybe it's even very overvalued. I'm being picky here because, again, that thing will tend to average out over time. Right. Um, you know what? I'm a, I'm a huge... I'm a, this is just me, I should stress, but I'm a huge fan of reinvesting my dividends, but I actually choose to do it manually. I take the cash... And then at the end of the year, I actually buy in. Sometimes I use it to help perhaps reweight my portfolio, mm -hmm. buy a new company that I otherwise wouldn't be able to buy. Um, I'm still doing the same thing, and that's that's for me. Um, but if you're doing it in a DRP, you don't. It, it's that company, and it's at, at the time of the dividend. Yeah, look, I think that's a really important point, Andrew. In fact, I would I would I think the look the timing for me, as you say, dollar cost averaging over time takes care of itself. It does. So it does. sometimes the price is high, sometimes it's low. I'm not overly worried about that. To your point, it's mm. a small negative, not a big deal. Yep. The far bigger one for me is you don't get to choose which company shares you end up buying. Yep. So in a situation where let's say you own shares in in Woolworths, for example, mm. at thirty eight dollars as it was six twelve months ago. Yep. Maybe 18 months ago now. Yep. 
that was an incredibly, incredibly expensive price for Woolworths. Mm. If you'd been given those dividends, you had a DRP, you spent your hundred bucks worth of dividends buying more Woolies shares. At 38 bucks. At 38 bucks. Mm. Shares now $24 at the time mm. of recording. Yep. You've lost a lot of money as a result of that, those dividends being reinvested. Yep. Now you could have made that decision yourself and still managed to cock it up quite sure, frankly. Sure. But if you looked at that and said, well, Woolies isn't great value, but there's another company over here that is even much better value, Telstra at five bucks, for example, by comparison. Yep. I would have much rather bought Telstra shares at five bucks than Woolies shares at 38. And the option to do that, if you had the cash in the account, as you've already said, if you tell the company, look, don't give me new shares, send cash to my investment account. And when I've got enough money in my investment account, I'll go and buy the best idea I can find. You're much more likely to be able to build a much better portfolio as a result. Okay. Now, for all of that said, here's the, here's the decision point for me. If you're the sort of investor who is a really active investor, you want to be involved in your decisions, you want to really take a fine interest in choosing your own stocks, mm-hmm. and we think you should, yep. then take the money as cash. Yep. If you're someone who finds- But the, still reinvest it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you find the the paperwork difficult, the process difficult, you don't want to do it, you don't have the time, the interest, the inclination, yep. but you know it's important, yep. then just take the DRP because yep. overall your portfolio of 10 or 15 or 20 companies, on average, that's going to set you up in a very good position. You save the brokerage, you might get a discount, that money gets reinvested, you don't have to think about it yep. and it's all done for you. And it's so an especially a, attractive option if you're buying shares for the grandkids or something exactly. like that as if well. If you're a set and forget investor, yep. please take the DRP for your own sake. You'll, you'll thank us for it in a couple of years' time. Yeah, absolutely. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. So let's talk a little bit about ethical investing. It seems as though this is the new black in investing uh, talk, <laughs> Scott. Let's start at the beginning. Yep. What is ethical investing? Depends who you ask. Okay. <laughs> I'm asking you. All oh, right. Okay. okay. I, I, it still depends who you ask, but let me, let me give you my thought. Ethical investing is a really, really complex topic, and mm-hmm. so I'll try and keep it both brief and interesting while we while we chat. Okay. Ethical investing is broadly about using your money in a positive way, or at least a not a negative way, mm-hmm. for the planet. Now, okay. you can say when you say the planet, you could talk about socially, in, in uh, so think about uh, equality, for example. Okay. You could talk about environmentally, yep. so you know it might be things that aren't destroying don't, the don't environment. Don't invest in oil companies, for example. For example, yep. Um, people don't like investing in gun companies, for example, because okay. they don't like the impact of those. So yep. it's about choosing your investment portfolio and your investment decisions mm-hmm. based on your own ethical framework of looking at the well, world. Well, there's there's the first problem, right? And I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Who's to say what you think is ethical is what I think is ethical? Right. I might have no problem whatsoever with coal. And that's exactly why I said it depends who you ask. Right. Because it really is, ethical investing is primarily a personal decision. Mm-hmm. So if we look at the concept rather than the application, the concept is simply saying when you make your investments, invest according to your conscience. Mm. Invest according to your own ethical framework. If you think oil is great, invest in oil companies. Mm. If you think guns are great, invest in gun companies. Mm-hmm. If you don't like either of them for ethical reasons, then simply choose to put your money elsewhere. What if what if what I like is money? <laughs> hypothetically, let's say I, I, better than that. Let's say I really just like money. This isn't hypothetical. And <laughs> and I think that there is a wonderful investment return potential through investing in a tobacco company that that uses child workers. <laughs> You're a very very strange man. Look, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's great. This is this is ethical investing. Well, for most people, ethical investing is not about telling you how to invest. Mm-hmm. It's telling how I want to invest. Right. If your ethical framework says I don't care and money is more important to me than the ethical implications mm-hmm. of my investing, then you're completely entitled to invest exactly how you want. And okay. if that means you're investing in cigarette companies that use child labour, then knock yourself out. Okay. It's a ethical investing idea is saying consider your own your own investing ethical sorry, mm-hmm. own ethical framework yep. and make your investments accordingly. And as, a, as an industry, as you said, there is a growing trend towards making those sort of options available to people who mm-hmm. want to make those decisions. But here, here's something else I don't understand. 
it doesn't actually change anything. So let's let's go back to the beginning here. If mm-hmm. I go on if I go onto the market today and yep. I buy shares in I don't know New Hope Coal, big coal company in yes. Australia, I'm actually not giving the company money. I'm buying those shares off another investor. Yep. So on the ASX every day, shares are being traded, but they're being traded between people who own the shares and people who don't own the shares. The company doesn't get that money. So if I go out and buy a whole bunch of coal shares, it doesn't actually help that company do what it does. You see what I'm getting I at? Absolutely understand. Those shares exist. They're going to be held by someone. I'm not, I'm not adding money to the company coffers. So what difference does it make? Yeah. Let me, let me use the reverse of that, Andrew. I had a, a member say to me the other day, I, I invested money in this little renewable energy company because I wanted to help it. Mm. And I said, well, did you invest, did you give money to the company? No, no, I bought their shares from someone else. It doesn't help the company at all. There, no. there was no, there was no benefit of you owning those shares rather than someone else owning the shares. Yeah. And buying them hasn't helped anyone do anything no, other that's, than that's my the point. bloke you bought the shares right. from. Right. So that's a really important point. There's an argument to say that the shares that people want to buy will do better because more people want to buy them. Mm. Uh, there's a natural reality to the fact that if everyone likes to invest in renewable energy, the mm. share price will do better. And so mm. the company will actually the share the share price will do better as a result. Yep. And frankly the, the company who doesn't get the investment dollars is less likely to be able to raise more money in the market. And you're investing your money in a in an area where you, you want to have more you, you social s- impact. Yeah. And I now, guess you ultimately want to see that company succeed, right? Correct. Now there, there are other there are other soft benefits and those in the industry will say things like the fewer people invest in a company, the issue is for government to regulate against it. Right. We all own Telstra shares, almost everybody. Yep. For the government to really be draconian to regulate against Telstra, there's going to be a massive, massive upheaval amongst Big the voters. Big political backlash. If yep. 15 people own shares in a coal company and the government decides to outlaw coal or increase a carbon price or do something else, not many people much are going to care. Exactly. Right. I'm with you. I'm with now, you. More broadly, though, ethical investing is actually good investing more often than not. Right. There's a book that was written a few years now, ago now called Firms of Endearment. Oh, yeah. And the idea is the companies that people like, that look after their employees, their shareholders, their community at large, mm. um, their suppliers, companies that, that are fundamentally decent companies and decent industries doing the right thing, tend to do better be, for exactly those reasons. And statistically, it's the case. And they're actually fantastically more profitable, more successful than other companies. Mm. So the idea here is that literally... Companies that are ethical in their own dealings, that do things that benefit the community mm. in broad ways, actually tend to outperform. They, that's, they do good by doing good. Correct. Exactly right. So that's that's birthed a movement called conscious capitalism. Mm. The idea there is if you are a business that, pro, that practices conscious capitalism, you care about your customers, your employees, your suppliers, your partners, your community that you're in, the, mm. the, the environment at large. Mm. If you're someone who cares about that stuff and acts appropriately, more people will like you, more people will buy your stuff. So there yeah. actually is a, a way to do well by doing good. It's a really important component. And frankly, over the long period of time now, companies generally, and these are all general definitions, considered ethical, mm. have significantly outperformed the market as a whole. So being So you, ethical, you can be ethical and make a, a ton of money. And that's the key point. I think that, you know, it's not to say you should buy every ethical company no matter how much money they make mm-hmm. or avoid every unethical company no matter how much, no matter how much money they make. Yep. If you choose quality businesses, there is enough businesses out there you can simply choose to include or exclude mm-hmm. companies based on an ethical framework and still do well. And at the same time, you are you know, effectively living better with your own conscience, but it does have an impact on society at large because those companies get more funding or less funding, more support or less support, depending on who's buying the shares. Sounds good. Make money by doing good. Not a bad thing. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Okay, Scott, let's talk about China. Okay. Let's talk Which, about... What, what sort of China would you like to talk about? I'm talking about a China that makes me money. <laughs> this is it's a, all this about a, me and making money. This is a you trend. You should know that. I, well, I do know that by now, frankly, <laughs> listeners. This is, a, this is not a new revelation, I have to tell you. Although, at the same time, as though, although there's a lot of excitement in the air, although we're seeing a lot of action, particularly with some particular companies out there. It's all about China. You know, I think we need to, I think we need to recognize that there is a big opportunity here. 
but it's not a slam dunk. There are risks that are involved. Let's start with perhaps some of the more obvious ones that are out there. What springs to mind are companies like Blackmore's, the vitamin makers, Mm -hmm. Bellamy's that make uh, milk powder, Mm -hmm. companies that are just really doing well because of this rise and rise of the Chinese middle class. Had you invested in some of these? I mean, Blackmore's was like 20 bucks not that long ago. It was, and it got to 225 (laughs) or so not long ago. 225 bucks. Even today, it's around 150 or something like that. Not a bad return on your investment right there. It's not bad. Have I missed out? Is it too late? Well, here's the question. You've got to be very careful to separate the trend from the reality. Gotcha. So China's middle class is, is, is you know, becoming more and more affluent, getting larger and larger. There are, there are far more Chinese middle class than there are Australians outright, let alone mm. Australian middle class. The There's more millionaires class, in China than there are Australians. Correct. There? There's enormous, enormous growth in that. And for Australian companies, there is a fantastic opportunity. Mm-hmm. The Chinese agriculture sector is decent, but it's far from clean. Yep. There's been tainted milk powder sold in China. You mentioned right. Bellamy's before. Yep. Yep. Um, the Chinese, there is so much pollution. We had one of our colleagues come back from China recently and say, mm. we don't as a family buy anything, any agricultural products made in China anymore. We've mm. seen how they're made. I've seen what the environment's like. Yep. I don't want to have that anymore for myself. Mm-hmm. So the Chinese people who can afford it are looking around and saying, hey, that country down there, down, mm. down you know, further south from us, they're clean and they're green. They've got good regulation, quality environment, mm. great products. You know, there is a... There is a, a lot Australia has to offer, particularly agriculturally, mm. but also the Chinese love Western brands because mm. it's a status symbol. Yeah. So if you can buy a quality Australian brands or other brands, for example, alcohol yep. brands are big in China. Sure. Think about the Johnny Walkers of the world, that yep. sort of stuff. Yep. There is there is very big, you know, there's very movement towards buying Australian, mm-hmm. buying Western brands, mm-hmm. buying quality, buying clean, buying green, all that good mm. stuff. Mm. New Zealand's benefiting as well, I should say. Yes. But that's, that's where the big opportunity is. Now, yep. if I told you 40 years ago, I've used this example before on this podcast, that airline travel was going to explode tenfold over the next couple of decades. Buy airlines. You buy exactly you would, and you would have lost back up the truck. Absolute fortune doing. Yeah. And this is the problem. So just because a trend exists doesn't mean you can just buy anything and capitalize on that trend. Yeah. You can absolutely find opportunities, and you should. Yep. But just buying the trend itself is not going to make you money. You've got to still focus on the companies, what they do, whether the Chinese like them, why they like them, yep. and how sustainable that opportunity is. Mm-hmm. We've all seen, yeah, there were 150 car companies in the US in 1910 or 1920. Right. There's now four. Yeah. So, you know, the, the fact that they existed at some point, yep. again, growth of cars over, over a century, going to be massive. massive. And yep. it was. Yep. But unfortunately, not a lot of people, in fact, all of us, all the car companies went broke at some point in then and now. Yep. Other than Ford, GM was bailed out, Chrysler was bailed mm-hmm. out. You know, mm-hmm. this is the story. So just because there's a trend doesn't mean it's real. That being said, the Chinese middle class is growing. They like Australian products mm-hmm. and there are real opportunities. Yeah. The challenge for Blackmores, as you asked, Andrew, specifically is a lot of their products are sold directly into China, yep. but far more are bought by consumers in Australia and shipped to China. The Daigo. The Daigo, correct. Yep. That's the Chinese name for, I don't know, is it Traveller? I can't remember. Anyway, it basically sure. is the Chinese name given to people who buy products in Australia and ship them back to, to China, to the yep. mainland. Yep. If and when the Chinese government clamped down on that, by the way, Blackmore sales are really going to hurt. Big trouble. Now, maybe it never happens. Half their sales go to China. Correct. Now, maybe it never happens. Yep. But if it does happen, mm. there's going to be real pain felt. Yep. Now, compare that with Bellamy's, the mm. organic infant formula maker. Yep. Most of their product is sold directly into China, yep. as well as some through through the Daigo in Australia. Now, if they stop, if the Daigo stops selling product back to China, yep. will it hurt Bellamy's in the short run? Probably. Sure, sure. But there is a channel to get that product in China mm-hmm. directly from Chinese retailers. So I guess what you're saying here is, is that the China story is very real. It is very exciting. 
But you've got to be aware, and a lot of companies are saying this now. It's like, hey, look at China. It's growing crazy. We've got exposure to that. Therefore, we're going to go really good, and you as an investor are going to go really good from now. And, and more importantly, not only is the company saying that, but the share market is saying that. Yeah. So a lot of these companies, share prices are already really well, expensive. That, that's the second part, right? It's Correct. even if the company is, and this is, this is I think, bizarre to, to a lot of first-time investors. It's entirely possible to buy shares in a company that does ultimately perform very, very well. The company performed very, very well. But you as an investor actually don't get a very good return because Correct. you paid too much for it. That's exactly right. So this is this is the challenge. If you think about, you know, Blackmore's, it's gone from 20 to 200 back to 150. Mm -hmm. If you bought shares at the, the high point about 225, you lost about a third of your investment. Yes. Now, at 150 bucks, if you bought it at 20, you think you're a genius. Yep. If it's 150 bucks, you bought it at 225, you think you're a deal, you think the company's terrible or both. Yep. So the price you pay absolutely matters. China is going to be massive. It's going to be massive for some Australian companies. Yep. I would be looking for companies that have made a successful foray into China. Yep. Companies They've got that a foothold. Correct, got a foothold. They have a brand over there. They have a legitimate path to market. Now, the mm -hmm. Daigo isn't illegitimate, yep. but it can be closed down. Yep. A product that's regulated, that's, that's you know, uh, or well, the Chinese the are Chinese changing government. the regulations there. They're putting a tax on that. They're Correct. restricting the sale of some products. Correct. I would want to go with a product that's already sold in the, in the Chinese market directly rather yep. than have to go through third parties or through a grey market. And that really, for me, one of the best companies in the business is Bellamy's for that reason. I was going to ask you, what's your tip? Bellamy's, yeah. okay. The code is B-A-L. Yep. Um, high quality Australian infant formula manufacturer. Still yep. very early days for them and for their competitors. They're yep. by no means a slam dunk. No. But they're a super high quality business working in, in China right now. Yep. The other one I mentioned, Andrew, to give you a second one, is Freedom Foods, F NP is okay. the code. What are these guys um, do? Freedom Foods, people will have seen the the freedom that is kind of the free from stuff. No, no gluten, no nuts, oh, no right. wheat yes. um, in Australian stores. Yep. They also have a lot of arrangements selling product into China and into the US. Yep. So you know, they're really nimble. They've got about, I think I want to say seven or eight brands. Okay. Um, the Freedom brand is one that most Australians will know. You will see it in your supermarket aisles. Mm -hmm. But they sell a whole lot of product into China. So they do often, you know, they have a really good opportunity to benefit from the boom in Chinese mm. growth. They're partnering with locals, which is also an important component here. So if you've got a foot in the door through a Chinese joint venture or mm. some partnership, mm. you're also much more likely to be able to navigate the sometimes opaque, you know, rules and regulations around the, around the Chinese food authorities. If you have a partner there and you're doing a good job, that's another way. So I would say Food and Foods and Bellamy's our two stocks for the China boom. Listen, um, just as a disclaimer on this as well, what I would say, these are when you're investing um, in this kind of story, for want of a better word, you've got to understand that these businesses have already a fairly hefty premium on them. There's, and they tend to be quite volatile. So if you're saying, listen, I'm buying this company because I feel in 10 years it's going to substantially benefit from this. Right. You know, and it happens that it could be down 20% in six months' time. And by the way, that's entirely possible. Be, um, uh, Blackmore's went 225 back to 140, I'm going to say, at one yep. stage. Yep. Doesn't mean that ultimately you're going to go, well, you just prepare yourself for a very bumpy ride, is what I'm going to say with a lot of these companies. Yep. Um, but as long as the long term story remains in check, there are some pretty good opportunities. There. Remember always with a Motley Fool, we are long term investors. We believe in five year plus investment horizons. And frankly, we also know that volatility is ticket to the dance. So get ready for the bumps. You're going to have to live through them no matter what you do, but some good opportunities in both those businesses. Absolutely. Scott, thank you once again for your time today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Fools. Yes, thanks for listening, Fools. Remember, you can subscribe to Triple M's Motley Fool Money through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And of course, through the Triple M website, triplem.com.au forward slash podcasts. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolishness. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.